Psalm 100. This is God's Word. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Amen. We trust that God will bless to us His Word. Well, let's uh, take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 100, that psalm that we read earlier, page 604 in the Pew Bibles. One of the things that uh, you find when you're on holiday is that you tend to have a lot more choices to make. Uh, often our, our lives, whenever we're uh, not on holiday, are not got so many choices, but whenever you're on holiday, there are so many choices. You're choosing whether to go here or there or visit this attraction or that attraction. And in particular, you've got choices to make with regard to food. If you're eating out a little bit more, perhaps, than you would be otherwise. How would you like that steak cooked, sir? How, uh, would you like the salad or the chips with that? There's really only one answer to that on holiday, isn't there? Uh, uh, would you like to go large, perhaps, if you're uh, in a different establishment? And maybe you're asked your opinion afterwards. How was it? it, it was everything okay uh, for you? And, and in that way, and in countless other ways, the, the message gets across to us that, that things in our lives, if, if, if really things are the way they should be, then, then things should just be the way that we want them. My preferences are what really matters. And you can bring that same sort of thinking into uh, worship as well, can't you? Uh, maybe uh, on holiday you get a chance to, to visit a different church, and, and inevitably you find yourself sort of evaluating it in the same way, perhaps, that you would if you were in a restaurant. Is it to my liking? Or are the seats comfortable? Was the music uplifting? Was the sermon helpful? And if we're not careful, we end up really asking, does it meet my preferences? It's maybe not too far-fetched to imagine that if we were to uh, really embrace the spirit of the age, that about five minutes into the service, an elder would tap us on the shoulder and say, is everything to your liking? <laughs> well, we'll think about that. Uh, so, our world is always telling us that what we want matters. But when it comes to worship, one of the things that we've got to remember is that it's not our preferences that matter, but God's preferences. He says how worship is to be. Maybe that's not something that we thought an awful lot about, but it's been a, a very big emphasis within the sort of the history of Presbyterianism and Reformed churches generally, that it's, it's not up to say, for us to say to God, this is how I'd like to worship you. It's actually that God says to us, this is how I am to be worshipped. So not only, for example, does he prescribe how we may come to him if we are to be saved, that we trust in his son, the Lord Jesus, but also he prescribes to us how we are to 
worship him. You might remember whenever the children of Israel uh, were journeying through the desert, they came to Mount Sinai, and Moses was up the mountain meeting with God, receiving the Ten Commandments. And the people of God um, persuaded Aaron to, to, to make the, the golden calf. And if you read the, the story closely, it's, it's not so much that they were worshiping another god as they were uh, worshiping around the golden calf. They thought that they were worshiping the God who had brought them out of Egypt. And, and they, were, they were really saying, this is how we imagine you, and this is how we would like to worship you. And we know that that was a disaster. God determines how he's to be worshipped. Well, that's what we're thinking about this morning as we look at this psalm. This is a psalm that we have sung often, that we're going to sing at the end of our service, and yet I've realized I've never spoken on it, so we want to, to look at it today. It's been a very special psalm historically. It, it became very commonly sung within Presbyterian circles after, in the 16th century, a Scotsman called William Keith adapted it. For, uh, with the famous words uh, for singing all people that on earth do dwell. It's the one that's in the, the metrical version of the Psalms. He was at the time fleeing Queen Mary. He was in exile on the continent. He was involved in translating the Geneva Bible, very important figure uh, within uh, our, our history. And, and Keith's version has four uh, verses. There are five verses in the Psalm, but there are four stanzas that reflect the structure of the psalm. It's a very interesting structure if you're interested in the way sometimes the Bible puts its structure together. You notice that, that uh, verses 1 and 2 uh, tell us how to worship God. They call us to worship God, and they give us three ways to do so. Shout for joy, worship the Lord, come before Him. And then uh, verse 3 tells us why we are to worship God with giving us three reasons. Then we're back to verse 4, again telling us how to worship. And verse 5 tells us uh, another three reasons why, why we should uh, worship. So it's this sort of how and why structure with three subpoints in each, in each point. Now, we're not going to follow that structure this morning. We, we want to simply think about that big uh, structure of of how we're to worship, and why we're to worship. That's what the psalm's burden is for us. So first of all, how are we to worship? Well, a few things to, to, to highlight and peg out. First of all, we're to worship with joyful thanks. You see that in verse 1? Shout to joy, shout for, for joy to the Lord. And then in verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving, give thanks to his him and praise his name. So whenever we come before the Lord in worship, it's to be a joyful thing. You notice it begins in the NIV, shout to the Lord. That was apparently a term used to cheer a king. It was a, the, the shout of the people to the king. So you imagine the people are waiting outside the palace, and, and they've been waiting all morning, and their, their new king steps onto the balcony, and a great cheer spontaneously goes up from the crowd. That's the sort of picture. Shout to joy, shout for joy to the Lord. They're thrilled to be with their king. And so you see, worship is seen here as a joyful and a noisy thing. No doubt it's appropriate to worship God quietly, but here the emphasis is on this great cheer in the presence of God because we're overjoyed about what he has done. And you'll specifically see that it mentions singing, joyful songs. 
Isn't it great that it says, uh, make a joyful noise to the Lord? Doesn't mean a tuneful noise all the same. And, and that is a great liberty for many of us, that we're able to, to sing with, with great enthusiasm, even if we don't hit all the notes. You're really welcome to do that. We probably won't give you a microphone, but, but you're really, really welcome uh, to do that. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Uh, and there are times whenever it's appropriate to sing laments, for example, times when it's appropriate to mourn in God's presence, to call out to Him in our brokenness. But the dominant theme certainly here is to be joy because of what He has done. Now, we're going to say more about what God has done in a moment, but we should remember that the joy that God brings is not necessarily the joy of our circumstances. There can be times whenever our joy is there despite our circumstances. I think we know this, don't we? So it may be that in our worship, we find ourselves saying something like this, Lord, everything in my life seems to be broken and falling apart, but what a joy it is to come before you and to know that you will never leave me nor forsake me. Thank you that what you're doing in my life endures forever. Some of us have to do that, don't we? Some of us get to do that. And you see that that's emphasized here because of the thankfulness. We're thankful because of what God has done. It's him and his work that causes joy. Now, now, this is one of those great diagnostic tests of where we are as, as believers. You know, that if you go to the doctor for one of these sort of health checkups and clinics, there are some diagnostic questions that the doctor will ask you. They'll ask you about your, your, your diet and about your, your, your appetite and about your, your sleep and, and, and your energy levels and those sorts of things in an effort to try and see what's really going on here under the surface. And this is a diagnostic area, isn't it? Our joy. So is, is, our, is our worship marked with joyful thanks? Do we have that sense that, that we're just so grateful for what God has done for us? All sorts of things cause us to to lose our joy. We, we won't have joy if we're running from God. We won't have joy if we're cherishing sin. We won't have uh, joy if we're holding God at a distance. But if we are seeking Him, then this joy should be part of our experience. We worship Him with joy. We, we worship Him together. You, you notice that, that this is a psalm that's, that's calling people together. The words we and us appear regularly right through it, and the picture is clearly that of coming together into the temple or the tabernacle, enter His gates with thanksgiving, His courts with praise. Now, of course, now in the New Testament church, there's no special place where we have to go to meet God, but there is a special people that we meet God with. God dwells in the midst of His people. The temple now is the people of God. That's where God dwells specifically, and so it is with God's people that we come together to worship God. Our world, as you know, is marked by this increasing individualism. I, I, I've mentioned before that, that uh, there's 
someone I see on, on social media from time to time, and they, pitch, uh, they, they post pictures of going into the hills and the states, beautiful area that they live in, and she says, I, I went to church today. And that's where she says, I go to meet God. And she's there on her own, worshiping, as it were, she thinks, within creation. But let's remember what we've said. This is not about our preferences. We don't get to say to God, here's how I would like to do this worship thing. We hear from God. And God says, well, here's how you're to worship. You're to come together with, with other people whose lives have also been transformed by, by my love and my grace. And, and he says to us, for example, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. He says, speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We've got to do that together in the presence of God's people. So when we think of worship, we, of course, think of times that we spend with God on our own, but we remember that God calls us together to worship Him. And it's a sign of God's work within our lives that we're being drawn to His people to worship. You know, so many people have said something like this as they talk about their spiritual journey. They say something like this. They say, well, you know, there was a time whenever I really couldn't be bothered coming to church. I slept through it all. It just bored me. Uh, but, but now I'm finding that I'm wanting to be there. I'm drawing to it. It doesn't happen by accident. God's at work. I remember that very clearly. And in First Porta Down, a, a young chap said to me 20 years ago, he said, you know what I did tonight in the, in the sermon? And I said, what did you do? And he said, I listened. I said, really? What have you been doing for all these other years? He says, oh, I don't know. I just put my head into neutral and I just sit there. And uh, he, he, was, he was really quite proud of himself. Uh, uh, but, but that's a sign that God's at work within our lives that we are wanting to be worshiping with God's people. We worship joyfully. We worship together. But we also worship with all of our lives, because it's not just that we worship God for a few hours a week. We worship Him every moment that we are uh, awake. You see, the, the second line says, worship the, the, the Lord with gladness. The ESV has it, serve the Lord with gladness. There's a, there's a play in these words. The worship word and the serve word are really the same word. You might remember Romans 12. It says, uh, this is our reasonable act of worship or service, the same word sometimes translated differently there. And so it's pointing to a great biblical theme that all of our lives should be worship. We can serve the Lord and worship the Lord in all that we do. One of the great truths that was recovered at the time of the Reformation was that, that all believers can do this in their day-to-day -day lives. There was a time whenever the idea was that the only way you could really serve God with your life was to go into sort of holy orders, to become a monk or a priest or a nun or whatever it might be. And everybody else at that time wasn't really seen as serving the Lord and what they were doing. But the Reformation changed that and emphasized what the Bible says about all of life being part of our worship so that whatever we do, we do unto the Lord. Luther was once approached by a man who enthusiastically announced that he'd become a Christian recently, and he was wanting desperately to serve the Lord, and he asked Luther what he should do. And he was expecting 
that Luther would tell him to go and train to be a, a minister or a priest or a monk or, or whatever it might be. And Luther said, well, what, what is it you're doing at the moment? And he said, I'm a shoemaker, I'm a cobbler, he said. And he said, Luther said to him, well, much to his surprise, he says, then make a good shoe and sell it at a fair price. Make a good shoe and sell it at a fair price. Serve the Lord, worship the Lord in your daily occupation. Serve the Lord with gladness. How could you worship the Lord? How could you serve Him in the things that you're going to this week as you do the things that God has given you to do as unto the Lord, as you bless other people? Remember this parable of the sheep and the goats, Matthew 25, that righteous didn't think they were doing anything particularly special as they were feeding the hungry and uh, quenching the thirst of the thirsty and clothing those who need it clothed and welcoming the stranger and, and visiting the sick and the prisoner. And Jesus said to them, whatever you've done for the least of these brothers of mine, you've done to me, worshiping the Lord in all of our lives. So here's the psalm then, tells us how to worship the Lord, that, that, that we are doing it joyfully together in all of our lives. And this is what a Christian is. You see, if we ask somebody to define a Christian, they might say something about believing certain things or doing or not doing certain things. But here's something that's really basic. A Christian is someone whose life has been turned around to God in order to say to God with all of their lives, you are great. I'm worshiping you with joy. I'm thankful for who you are and what you've done. Now, the question is, why should we do that? Why should somebody be like that? You know what, what we're like. Our, our lives tend to revolve around ourselves. Why should we turn our lives towards God? Well, well here the psalm tells us God wants us to have reasons to worship, and uh, we've got a few of them just to pick out. First of all, because He is God. You see verse 3? Know that the Lord is God. There's nobody above Him absolutely appropriate that we would worship Him because He is at the very height of all that there is. He has made all that there is. There's nothing to compare Him to because He's God, because He's made us. It is He who made us, verse 3 says. We're not accidents. We're carefully crafted, every one of us, a miracle. We hear such terrible stories, don't we, from time to time of people who hear, who say that their, their lives, they feel that their lives are hopeless and meaningless. And we want them to know this. I'm sure some of you have been in that situation where you've been trying to convince someone of the value of their lives. And this is what you want to get across them, isn't it? You're, you're made by God. You're not an accident. You're not without purpose or value. And because you are made by Him, you're precious to Him. And that brings us, you see, into this creature-creator relationship where the work of the Creator is to care for His creatures, and the work of the creatures is to worship the Creator. He made us. And then also because we are His people. This is a, a real step up, isn't it? And, and so significant. The psalm is saying a Here's why we worship the Lord, because He's God, because He's made us, but because we are His. 
Not everybody gets to say that, but Christians do. We are his. And it's not that we've done anything to deserve it. It's that he has made us his people. The work is his, not ours. If you're here and you're trying to get to to grips with what Christianity is all about, you've got some questions, you're trying to explore that, let's, let's make sure that you don't come at this in the wrong direction, because it's easy to to do that. It's not, you see, that we do some things and worship God, and then he says, ah, that's good. I'll make you my people. It's not that way at all. It's the other way at all. He makes us his people. It's based on what he does rather than what we do. He comes to us and brings us into his flock. You might imagine the shepherd approaching a lost sheep and saying, come and be part of my flock, part of my people. And the sheep, as it were, says, well, what have I done to deserve this? And the shepherd says, nothing. You're coming because of my invitation and my grace. Now, the picture fills out whenever we get to the New Testament. We realize that we get to be the sheep of his pasture because the good shepherd comes and lays down his life for us. That's the only way. Jesus comes and gives his life for the sheep. He takes the penalty we deserve so that through trusting in him, our sins are forgiven. The the very thing that that, that would keep us from him, our sin, is dealt with. So we're made by him, And we're bought by him. It's like the little boy with the boat, twice mine, made and bought. Something else we should see here, that is that this God, when he comes to work in our lives, does not work only in our life alone, but we have an expectation. You see it in verse 5. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. You see, there's an expectation here that the coming generation will know and experience the Lord's faithfulness. That's part of the joy of this psalm. It's part of the reasons for thankfulness that we can trust that those who come after us, there's a great promise for parents here this morning, but not only for parents, even for the church family, that we would know that those who come after us our children's children will know his love and faithfulness too. It's the covenant God, you see, who who works through the coming generations. We expect, we joyfully expect God to reveal his faithfulness to the generations to come. So what are we to be? Worshippers, Lives turned towards God, full of, God, thank, uh, of joyful thanks. Why? Because he is God. There's nobody like him. He made us, and he owns us as his people. Last little thing just to think about, and that's who's it for? Is this just a message for those who are keen? Uh, no. Is it just for everybody who, who knows the Lord? No, it's not just for them either. You see how the psalm starts. It says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth, all the earth. What a radical statement this is in a world that tells us, well, faith is just about what you think. You keep it to yourself as long as it doesn't press out upon anything else or anyone else. 
And here this ancient psalm says, Baloney, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. This is for all people. Whoever you are, this is a call, you see, to take your rightful place before the Lord, praising him, thrilled with him, noisily worshiping because of who he is and what he's done. So, so this is the call for all the people today in greater Craigavon who are shopping or involved in sport and everything of coming near church. It's saying, come and, and be part of a worshiping body before the Lord. This is a, a call to the neighbors that you'll maybe chat to this afternoon. This is a call for the people who took, place, took part in the Gay Pride March yesterday in Belfast. This is a call for the people that you'll meet in the office tomorrow. It's a call for, for people in, in tribes in, in the world who have never heard of Jesus. Take your rightful place before the Lord and praise him. And you see, if, if we're here today, and we don't yet know him, is a call for us to say, this is for you. Come and take your place before the Lord and worship him. It's not just for your wife or for your husband. It's not just for your father or mother. It's for you, all people, as we're going to sing, all people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice. Let's sing together. <laughs>